0: This is a free download from Delancey Elam Church. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30am in the Delancey Elam Church building at Lebanks Banks St. Samson's in the Channel Island of Guernsey. To contact us or find out more information about us, please visit our website at delanceyelam.co.uk A big thank you for the worship band, that was great, it was a great job this morning. Uh, Psalm 27, we've been looking at Psalm 27 and I just want to really look at, we looked at last week, uh, really based from 1 to 3 really, and uh, at the end of verse 3 where David said of this I will be confident, and we talk about having confidence, not in our own natural abilities, not in our own, not in... Uh, our own abilities and talents, but having real, true God-confidence, which causes us to have boldness. That's the massive thing. You know, you think of those areas where we struggle and feel overwhelmed. Often it's those areas where we don't really feel confident, confident enough in God to see those challenges overcome. And so we allow fear. The Bible says perfect love casts out fear. So if we know that we are really loved by God. Then that love is just going to cast out the, the confidence in his love is going to cast out the fear amen, and so where there is fear that 's obviously evident where we 're not confident enough of God in that aspect that part dimension of our life that we've, we don 't trust his love enough in that area at the moment. So how many of you say we need confidence? This, and, I, and we looked at David as such this absolutely awesome, outstanding confidence I think I shared last week he could face someone over. Eight and a half feet, you know, sort of, I don't know big he weighed, how much he weighed, but he weighed a lot. Uh, and he kind of, all he had was a little, five little stones. How many think you need confidence in something when that happens? And his confidence wasn't in his stones or in his abilities, confidence was in who? God. Uh, and so that, that is an incredible, important part of life, that we develop confidence, uh, because I think there's so many things out there that want to shake our confidence. So we lose confidence in God. We lose confidence in his ability and power. And so we need to never lose. Paul says, don't lose your confidence. Amen. I want us this morning to focus on verse 4. And this to me, what, what an awesome challenge this verse is. I want to talk this morning about one thing. Not, one, I want, not just one thing, but about the one thing. Uh, I want to talk about the one thing. And it's in verse 4. One thing... Have I desired of the Lord that I will seek, and this is his one thing, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Isn't that awesome? I shared, I think last week, that verse 4 is, very connect, is connected to verse 3 because confidence comes through Intimacy with God, that's where your confidence is found. And so really verse 4 connects to verse 3. And I just want to talk this morning about becoming a, a person of one thing. Focus on one thing. Someone actually made a list of what they thought was the top 50 influential verses in the Bible. Now when you think there's thirty-one, over 31,000 verses in the Bible... Uh, you can see that he made a list of the 50 most influential verses in the Bible, and this was one of them. He saw this as one of the most influential, top 50 influential verses in the whole Bible, out of 31,000. And I think the, the core, really, of the church is to develop an unwavering devotion. To love him first and foremost is God's purpose and God's desire for us. To love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, thy soul, and thy mind. Isn't that the first, real, the first call, really? And I kind of think this is so vital that we kind of develop a, a single-minded single devotion to God. That's what the focus, that's what it's really all about. And I think it stops us from living what I call minimum Christian living. To make you, bro. I remember. I mean, remember you were at a school. For some of us, that's a long time to remember. But this is in my mind. This is how I used to operate in the early years, anyway. How can I do the minimum most of work and still get the best benefits? You know what I mean? Because I got more important things to do, like football and speed scale. is speed skating time. You know, th- these are more important things than school. So, how can I do the the less most less minimum but still kind of get the best result if you like. And they kind of never really work very well, but there's the point. And often we can be often like that in our kind of Christian lives. How can we get the maximum spiritual benefits with the minimum output? And so we kind of have a focus on on how, how little can I do and get the most out of it, if you like. But what David discovered, he discovered the pleasures Of living for the one thing. Because when he learned to live for the one thing, it ruined him to live for anything else. And really, here is the question, really, that I put to my heart and I put to you this morning. If you could ask for one thing, what would that one thing be? You think David could have asked for for loads of things. He was king of a nation. He could have said, you know, give me the best army going. Or, you know, give me some real amazing sort of people to help me in. And he could have have prayed all kinds of things connected to his role as a king. But he said, the one thing I want above all else is I want to know God. I want to see God as he really is. And I want to be with him. And ultimately... That is the highest calling we can have. Can you say amen? To know him, to love him, and to see him as he really is. That's the one thing that God wants. And I think actually this, how foolishly people spend their lives on so many other things. that don't really bring satisfaction. that don't really bring peace because only this one thing can give us true satisfaction and true peace and true joy. I think it was Billy Graham who said this, that every person has a God-shaped vacuum that only God himself can fill. And this one thing I'm talking about this morning is the only one, it's the only thing that can really give us true meaning and true satisfaction in life. Can you say amen? The one thing. Now, as you think about this kind of one thing, because really we're not talking about something kind of flitting and flitting out. We're talking about a lifestyle of having a one thing lifestyle. And I think there's three things that the devil will use to stop us entering into a one thing lifestyle. Three things that he uses to kind of pull us back and to stop us living a one-thing lifestyle. Here's the three things. First thing he uses is distraction. So many things the enemy brings before us to distract us, to get us off track. And sometimes we can get distracted to the point that our whole Christian experience becomes watered down. And we don't really live in, in the fullness of what God intends because we are so distracted with so many other things. And because we are so distracted, we can't give ourselves to this one thing. Problems, pressures, uh, all kinds of things, relationships, all kinds of things. Things that keep us so busy in life that we haven't really got time or attention to give to the most important thing of all, and that's Him. The one thing. And the enemy will use distraction. So we get so distracted, so caught up with so many things in life that we never really give ourselves to the one thing. I think the other things he brings against this is, is a big one. Discouragement. How many have ever felt discouraged? Discouragement. Broken relationships. Difficult circumstances. Broken dreams. Things not turning out the way that we had expected them to turn out. Things that we pray for that never really at that point have come to pass. And so discouragement can so easily get into our hearts. And so we no longer become a person of one thing because discouragement is rooted in our hearts. There's an interesting phrase that's repeated many times in the Bible and it's this. Don't lose heart. And that's a good word to remember. Don't lose heart. In other words, don't allow your heart to become deplenished. Because when your heart becomes deplenished, you know what happens? You become half-hearted. To be half-hearted means that you don't really put your heart in it. You just go through the motions. You just go through the outward exteriors of something because... In your heart has lodged discouragement. And out of that discouragement has come a kind of half-heartedness. So, so your heart's not really in anything. It's not really in worship. It's not really in prayer. It's not really in God. It, it's, we do it, but it's more of a, an outward thing. Your heart's not fully in it. Because our hearts have become discouraged. And discouragement has never really got rooted out. We've never really confronted and dealt with it. And it's... Brought us away, taking us away from the one thing. So, that, so we got there, we got distraction, discouragement. And there's the third thing, division. It can happen in relationships. And I think most of it can happen in our own hearts. David says, God, give me an undivided heart. What's the thing that can get in our hearts, that causes our hearts to become divided? I think it can be offense and compromise. See, we're on this journey where we've got to continually guard our hearts because continually things can happen. And if we don't guard our hearts, offense and compromise can so easily get in. We've got to continually, Bob Bible says, root out that bitterness that so easily springs up and causes us trouble. I remember a few years ago now. It shows you how easily it can happen. I had a, I was in, a, I was in. a, ever, ever a good, you know, it's a good day. and, ah, and you know, everything's wonderful, and you know, the sun's shining, and everything's a wonderful day. And what can possibly go wrong today? And it's so wonderful. And then I am happy with life, happy with everything. And I'm walking down the road, and I suddenly see a minister that I know quite well. And he walks towards me, so I, 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 go, to have a, I go to speak to him, go to have a conversation. He looks at me right in the eye and just walks past me, and keeps walking. Now, there's a tremendous opportunity to get really offended right there. Isn't that right? Because they're the temptation. I'm thinking to myself, why did he do that for? How dare he do that? And all these thoughts are going through my mind. And I've got the choice of either allowing my wonderful day to be ruined, because the more I think about it, the more I kind of work it through, the more that's going to grow me. Or I can think, you know what, I'm not going to let that get to me. Who knows, he may not have seen me. He could have been 101 reasons why he did that. I'm not going to get offended by it. I'm going to just ignore it. I'm not going to think about it. I'm not even going to talk about it. I'm just going to. In fact, I'm going to pray for him right now. I'm going to bless him. And it was amazing. He just kind of lifted. Just totally went. But you know what? I could have allowed that to get so inside my heart because I said, you know what? The next time I see that guy, I'm going to just. I'm going to do it. I'm going to ignore him. You know, you can just see how your mind's thinking. And I could have just so grown. I could have gone to bed at night thinking about it. I couldn't have slept. You know what? He's probably in bed sleeping. having a wonderful day. And there's me, but it's so easy that each, it's so easy to allow our hearts or our fence to come in. You know, you're right there in, in, you know, right there in Waitrose in the queue. Ever done that? Then right next door, they open the, the checkout next to you. And someone who's just behind you with a thousand and one items just jumps in front. How many of you have ever felt that? And you can think to yourself, how dare they do that? And almost your whole day's ruined because you're thinking about just a couple of minutes. So we've got to continually guard our hearts because it's so easily for offense to come and root in our hearts, and it begins to create all kinds of troubles in our life, and begins to bring a heart of division. David says, "Create in me, O oh God, a clean heart. Don't let me get hard-hearted. Keep my heart tender. Don't allow my heart to get deception, because the nature of deception is that you don't know you're deceived. Oh, she wouldn't be deceived. Is that right?" And so that's the. And so he says, "Keep me from deception, God." He says, "Keep me from hidden faults. If there's something in me that I've not seen, then reveal it to me." Our drive in our house, we've got this point when you just pull out, it's called a blind spot. And those of you who've been in that drive to pull out, it's kind of hard because you're not. You, there's certain parts of that road you can't see what's coming. There's five ways, and it's kind of a blind spot. And so you've got to pray very carefully, because there certain parts of that road you can't see cars come in. And often we can be like that in life. We have blind spots. There's things in all of us that we can't see about ourselves. There's a blind spot. And that's why we need God to say, God, show me. Search me, O oh God, and show me anything in me that's a blind spot that I've not seen yet. Because I don't want anything to cause my heart to become disunified. Keep my heart tender. See, gardens need constant tendering. Have you ever found in a garden how easy weeds grow? How many, found you haven't got a tender weed. You do not say, oh, I'm, can I can't get that weed to grow. You know, I must tender that weed to cause that weed to grow. They just grow so easy and naturally. But fruit has to be tended. Now, if Gareth was here, he'd tell you about his onions. Is that right? Is that right, Wendy? You know, the amount of time and all the stuff, all the, he has lights and all kinds of stuff, doesn't he? So all these, When's, actually, when's when's the world championship going? When's he doing the world? September, so we want him to win that. But you know, it, they take a lot of work, believe it or not. It takes a lot of tendering to grow fruit and and yet and that's what we've got to be like with our hearts. We've got to so worker it, so allow our hearts to, to produce good things and work at it and tenderize our hearts so God can produce some amazing things. He say amen. Now, these three things uh, those three things can be overcome by three certain things. Three airs attack. Three antidotes to those attacks right there. Three things that that cause those things that can allow our hearts to be overcome. How do we overcome those things? How do we overcome distraction? We overcome distraction by hope. Sorry, we... No. We overcome distraction by faith. Hope's the second one. We Allow our hearts say, God, what you said, I'm setting my head like flint. So I'm not gonna let go of what you promised. I'm gonna hold on to it and I'm not gonna let go of it. I'm gonna truly believe what you've said, and no matter what comes my way, I'm not letting go. Amen. I'm gonna see this thing through. So you overcome distraction by faith. For example, Abraham. The Bible says really his body was past it. That was basically what it means. He was Old, and his body was past producing, if you like. And Sarah's room was barren. And the Bible says that naturally you'd think that all those opposition things would get you so distracted that you'd lose lose faith in that. But the Bible says actually Abraham became stronger in faith. The weaker he saw his body, the greater his faith became. He became stronger in faith. Because the Bible says he didn't consider his own body. He didn't consider Sarah's womb. He didn't consider the circumstances. He didn't consider what was against him. He refused to allow those things to distract him. Instead, his faith grew stronger, and he focused on God, focused on his promises, and God promised. What God promised, he brought to pass in his life. Can you say amen? The way we deal with discouragement is hope. So the antidote for distraction is faith. The antidote for discouragement is hope. God says, I will take the valley of Achor, which is the valley of of disappointment, and I will turn it into a valley of hope. Amen. He will turn difficult circumstances if we allow him. And I think hope is one of the most important things you can steward in your life. It really is. Steward hope. Build hope up. Continue in your life. Because there's so many things out there that want to discourage us. How many found that? And so the antidote to discouragement is to never lose your hope. And that's why the Bible says that we need to encourage each other daily. Isn't that powerful? That's what it says. Encourage each other daily. We should always be looking for ways that we can encourage each other. We've got to encourage each other. I was thinking about this. I thought, often, how hard it is sometimes for us to receive encouragement. I had a, a story, a quite a funny story, of this guy who who preached, and this wasn't me, but some other guy who preached. And, and this guy said to him afterwards, "That was an amazing word," and he and he, and he, he found it hard to receive the encouragement. So he says, "Oh," and we did, he said, "It wasn't me; it was the Lord." So this guy said to him, "It was good, but it wasn't that good." <laughs> And, and sometimes we—I we, I know myself. I used, when people used to sort of bring encouragement to me, I'd always sort of change the subject. Oh, God, isn't it rainy out today? Or because I know I struggle to really accept encouragement. And I'm, I used to think, why was that? And I can look back, and I think it's probably in the home I was brought in. I had an amazing mom and dad, but encouraging words wasn't the kind of words that happened very often. In fact, I remember the only encouraging word my dad sometimes would say to me—he'd say, "You're the best-looking guy in our house." And that seems encouraging. The problem was I was the only guy in the house. And so after I can look back and I kind of, I struggle with really getting, allowing to receive encouragement. Now, pour it out, amen. Pour it on. I need as much as I can get. And so we want to receive encouragement. And the Bible says we encourage each other because the day of the Lord is appearing. And so the nearer that day comes, the more we need to lift up our encouragement. I'd encourage you to I'd encourage you to be an encourager. Look for ways to constantly encourage people. So that was a blessing. And you know, you're encouraging, you're a blessing to me, and I just want to thank you for all that you do, and I want to appreciate you. And as you begin to cultivate that in your life, it will kind of come back to you as well. And we need to overcome discouragement by allowing God. Bible said that David encouraged himself in the Lord. We need to continually encourage ourselves, bring hope into us, and build hope up. Third thing is, is we, we overcome division by love. Get a hold of this love. The Bible says, love covers a multitude of sins. Division is allowing sin to come between people. The truth is, there's always some reason for Division. There's always some reason for us to feel divided. Someone doesn't say the right thing. Someone doesn't do the right thing. Someone looked at us in a kind of funny kind of way or did something else. There's a whole kind of reasons why we can get divided in our hearts. And that's why the Bible says love covers a multitude of sins. It, it covers, it heals Love covers. I just think that's such a powerful thing. Truth is, if you really look, you'll always find some reason or some way to feel a divided heart and to be offended. There's always some reason. But saying, God, love covers a multitude of sins. Isn't that powerful? Peter puts it this way. He says, above all things, have fervent love One for another. If there's anything we should be fervent about, it's about love. Don't be passive. There's no such thing as having passive love. Love has to be fervent, boiling hot. It has to be a fervent, deep-rooted, fervent love. And whenever you feel your heart growing tired or weary, say, Lord, today, would you fill me with radical love? Would you give me such a burning, fervent love? Would you cause a fervent love to grow, move in me? Paul in 1 Corinthians 14, he's talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And he says this, I love it. He says, make love your aim. Desire spiritual gifts, which is amazing and awesome, we should do that. But make love the goal, make love the aim. Getting back to encouragement. If you want to grow in a prophetic ministry, how many desire that to see God really birth prophetic more and more in you? The good way to start that, the good way to birth that, is just be an encourager. Because often, encouragement comes out of prophecy, prophetically prophetically grows in you, as you learn to have a, a goal and a desire to be an encourager. It will just grow, just be birthed in you. By making love your aim, by making your heart to be an encourager. Let's get back to Psalm 27 again. Look at this thing. So those are the things that the enemy does to, to divide us, to stop us having the desire for one thing. So don't allow distractions, discouragement, disunity to take away the one thing. Now when David says one thing, it doesn't mean that he's not going to have any other, any other need, he's not going to have any other problem. Or he's not, you know, he's not involved in anything else in life. He's just saying that if you... If you boil my life down, then this is the one thing this is the one thing in life. this is the one thing that, that, this is the one thing I live for. This is the one thing my life is all about right? it 's just boiled down to this one thing. this is what it 's all about. What about this man who went for an interview. He was a Christian guy who was getting an interview for a Christian job. so the first question was, "How are you yeah good and you got a family yes, and all these sort of so the guy was kind of relaxed and suddenly. When he reached this kind of relaxing point, this guy shouts out, top of his voice, he says, what are you living for? So he takes the guy by surprise and he said, oh, to go to heaven and take as many people as possible to heaven. Just came out of him like that. And the guy says, you've got the job. Because he realised that was the one thing. That's the passion, that was the thing of his heart. And So I want to challenge us about living for the one thing called Leonard Ravenew. How many of you read Leonard Ravenew? He wrote many books. He influenced people like David Wilkinson, many people influenced by Leonard Ravenew. He died many years ago, went to be with the Lord a few years ago. But even when he died, even on his tombstone, he still wanted to, to challenge and speak to people. And on his tombstone are these words, are the, thing you, uh, is the, are the things you're living for the things that Jesus died for? That's powerful, isn't it? If the thing you're living for is the thing that Jesus died for. And that's the real question this morning. I believe the core of the church, if you like, is to develop a heart of real devotion. To be a people of one thing. We just turn to Philippians 3. Paul was a man of one thing. Philippians 3. What a powerful scripture this is. Philippians 3, verse 10. That I might know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death. If by any means I may attain to the resurrection of the dead, not that I have already attained or already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Jesus Christ has laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to, up, to have apprehended, but one thing I do. Forgetting those things that are behind, reaching towards those things which are ahead. Verse eighty he says, Yes, indeed, I count all things for the loss, for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. That I may gain Christ. In other words, it says, if anything hinders my ability to experience Jesus in the fullest possible way, I just count it as rubbish. I count it as, I count it as removed. I just think Paul's one goal in life was to have intimacy and power with Jesus. He became a person of one thing. And he says, there's so many other things that could have distracted me. He said, I was shipwrecked. Three times, that's not good. I was stoned. He was actually stoned to death. He not being been put in prison. I've had lots of things that could have actually distracted me. But I still have this idea, this desire for one thing. That I would know him. That I would come to experience him more and more in his fullness. In verse 10 he says, for this reason, he says that this is why God got a hold of me. In a sense you were handpicked by God. And I think we can often miss our destiny because we lose sight of the prize. We lose sight of of the one thing. Because of Levi, I've been looking at some verses under Levi. It's good to look when you find your, your children or your grandchildren, look up their verses. I've been looking at verses for Levi. And I love what it says about Levi. It's kind of blessed when I saw this. is that Levi was a tribe that never had a portion of the land. It says of Levi that God says, you won't get land as your portion. Your portion will be me. Isn't that wonderful? Your portion will be my presence. That's your portion. And I just say more and more that's what we've got to be. We've got to be a people that says, God, we don't need anything else but you. We want to be a people of one thing. You're our focus. Our one thing is to know more and more of you, to know your presence, to know you in greater and deeper ways. I found more and more the Lord's been reminding me of that time and time again. It's not really my ministry, it's not preaching. It's great as those things I love to do. It's not ministering to people as as much as you love those things to do. But really, ultimately, it's all about knowing Him. I can have all those things, but if I don't know Him, it means Zouch. Amen? And that's true everything in life. The one thing is to know Him and experience Him in greater and deeper ways. Now go back to Psalm 27. You know, I found that when we focus, when other things become our focus, when other things become our one thing, often all they bring is often anxiety and worry. That's why Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God, then all these things. The things that you need, God understands that, but when you seek him first, then anything else is added to you. You can say amen. Seek first the kingdom. Look at this verse here in 20. Look at verse 4. Look at the word there. It says, that I may dwell the word dwell there in the Hebrew means to be married to. It means to come into a permanent arrangement. I think that's so awesome. In other words, he's saying, God, I want to hang out with you. I want to live where you live. I want to live in your presence. I want to dwell permanently, continually, daily, moment by moment. The one thing I want is to dwell and experience your presence it says that the Queen of Sheba, when she came to Solomon's palace and house, she was utterly amazed in awe of the way he set his tables. She was, she, was, she was amazed at how his servants operated, how his servants worked. She was amazed with the food and all the things that were set out before her. She said her heart was absolutely overwhelmed when she saw the way Solomon control his palace. And I think that something happens when we live in God's presence. We're overwhelmed by how he does things. We're captivated by how he operates, how he moves. David said this. He says, The reason why I go to his house is that I might behold his beauty. I behold his beauty. I think God's beauty is a powerful force that empowers our hearts. The human heart is created to be fascinated. We long to be fascinated. We long to be awestruck with endless wonder. And unless our hearts are full of awe and wonder, In other words, unless our hearts are filled with this wow factor about God, it's so easy for our Christian lives to become boring. Because we lose the sense of wonder and awe of God. And that's why people get bored in their Christian life. Because your heart was created to be fascinated. Your heart was created to be in awe. And if if your heart isn't fascinated by God and in awe of God, your heart will then begin to be fascinated by something else. Because that's what your heart was created for. And there's something about coming into the beauty realm of God that begins to fill your heart with awe. I love to take verses in the Bible that remind me of the beauty realm of God. For example, Revelation chapter 4 I believe, is the beauty realm of God. Speaks of the throne of God. Have you ever thought about that? How awesome the throne of God is. All the various lights that emanate from the throne. If you think we have a, a light display here, you wait to see the lights in heaven. Amen. Incredible light displays. There are various smells. And, 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 and as, a, as a sea, a crystal sea that, that's full of fire. The Bible speaks of God's very presence. It's like a burning bright light, as as well as a red. There's a huge rainbow above it, which speaks of His mercy. And you just spend time thinking and meditating and seeing the awesomeness of the throne room of God. There's something, wow, this is awesome. This is amazing. And we've got to continually allow our hearts to be awed by God. Look at His emotions. Fill your lives with information about God's emotions. I think when we feed our hearts on God's emotions, it causes our hearts to to come alive. Just, you know, for example, just one simple verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That should, wow. When we get a hold of that verse, we get so familiar with it, we, we lose the awesomeness of it. To see his tenderness to see His goodness, to see His perfection. God is totally and utterly perfect. There is no imperfectioning whatsoever. He's totally perfect. He's total justice. He's extravagant. He's totally and utterly extravagant in all He does. I remember as a young Christian, I can't remember his name now, and I'm going back a lot of years. A guy called Gordon Bailey. Wow, I can still remember his name. I'm going back 30 or 40 years, I still remember his name. And he wrote the most amazing poem I ever heard. And he simply says, God, you're so extravagant. I never really thought about that before. But that poem really struck a chord in my heart. Yeah, God, you're extravagant. Everything you do is extravagant. It's not like, you know, out, what's the minimum? It's extravagant. Everything God does is extravagant. His power his creative ability. We should just walk around and just look at the sea and the oceans and go, wow. This is awesome. You created that God. That's amazing. There's so many things in creation that should make us awestruck in wonder that our Father created it. The Bible says the very heavens declare the glory of the Lord. When we look at Jesus, we see the beauty of the Lord. Isaiah 4.2 says, The branch of the Lord shall be Beautiful. Jesus is beautiful. You're awestruck in his beauty, the way he does things. His tenderness, his compassion, his love. The way he operates. His sacrifice. It should just so melt our hearts and say, Lord Jesus, I just gaze on your beauty. You are so beautiful. So beautiful. The Bible says, delight yourself in the Lord. And that word delight means to, 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 to see his delightfulness. How can you delight yourself in someone that you don't see is delightful? And part of delighting in God is to see how beautiful he is, to see how delightful he is, to see how kind he is. He's the kindest person that's ever been. And the more those things captivate my heart, I just gaze, I behold, he says, you behold his beauty. The word behold there means to gaze with a revelation with a prophetic eye. In other words, he's saying, God, I want to see beyond the natural. I don't want to see what everybody else sees. I want to see you reveal yourself more and more to me. It means to observe, to focus, to speak back to God. That's a great way to behold God. Say, God, you're just so awesome. Your power is absolutely staggering and amazing. Your love is just so wonderful. And so you begin to speak back to God, who He is. And that begins to get a hold of your heart. You begin to to read His Word. You begin to evaluate it in your heart. You begin to feel the power of it. And I believe that's what leads to heart transformation. What you behold, you become. Beholding in a... Just through a mirror slightly... what we behold actually transforms us, we become. So if I, trans, if I behold the kindness of God, that's where I become. If I behold the goodness of God, that's where I become. If I behold the extravagance, if I think God's kind of tight-fisted, then guess what I'm going to become. But when I behold his generosity, when I behold his lavishness, guess what I become? Whatever you behold in God transforms you and eventually you become what you behold. So think about it. What if I'm beholding the problems and all the negativity things of life? It grips my heart and I become what I behold. I become what I see, if you like. And so David said, I want to behold the beauty of the Lord. I want to be, behold His, His awesomeness, His greatness. You know what? why that's important? Because what you see inner beauty in someone is what you love. See, if you see a certain, what you see in your spouse, what you see about her, the beauty, if you like, what you see in her is what you love. I can actually say, I can say this now, I might get a good, nice lunch when I get back. But I actually think Angie's grown more and more beautiful as the years have gone by. She's more beautiful now than she was many years ago when I first met her. I can actually say that. I'm just saying that from my heart. I really mean that. Because I see a beauty that causes love to be aroused in me. See, what you see in someone, when you see a beauty thing, what beauty you see in someone, causes love to arouse in your heart. But what happens if all you see is someone ugly? <laughs> you know, There's no love arises in your heart because it arises through... And I'm not just talking about outward things, okay? Not outward, I'm talking about everything that makes up the person. And so what you behold of the beauty causes love to be aroused in you. So when I behold the beauty of God... It arouses love to be aroused in my heart. Can you say amen? Now very quickly, I'll close with this. I like this one. This is a good one. I'll close on this. This is a good one. Look what he says. He says, I want to behold the beauty of the Lord in the house of the Lord, but I inquire, verse, The last part of it, I inquire in his temple. I love it. In other words, I'm in the house of the Lord. And the word house means the inner place. And so I'm saying in my heart, I behold the beauty, the wonder of the Lord. My heart is awestruck by that. But the temple, which is an interesting word there in the Hebrew, it actually means palace. I inquire in the palace or I inquire in the place of royalty. I inquire of the Lord in the place of royalty royalty. Now, get a hold of this. The word repent means to readjust the way you think. It means to allow your thinking to gain a high place. The word pent means the highest place, the penthouse, the highest place. And so the word repent means allow your thinking to be brought up to the highest place. And I just love this thing. You see, our thinking can become muddled becomes small. We lose sight that God is so majestic and so high. And David said, I come into the temple. I come into that place of royalty, of, of your, majesty, your, your majestic glory and power. And there I inquire of you. I seek you. I ask of you things because I see your greatness. I see your power. The Bible says that, that we've been seated. Seek those things which are above Where Christ is seated. You know, that changed my whole prayer concept. I used to think when you pray, I thought you kind of pray upwards. But I discovered that true prayer actually means you pray downwards. Because you pray from God's perspective, which means you pray downwards. You're looking down on the situation rather than, in a sense, looking up. You look at things from God's perspective. You look at things from the way God thinks, from the way God sees it. How I many of you would say that changes your whole prayer life? Is that right? In days I come to inquire. I come to that place of royalty. and I allow my thinking to be lifted up to your greatness and your power and your awesomeness. Let me close with this. After he said all this in verse 5, he says, For in times of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion. In other words, you'll be so glad... That you made him your one thing. When trouble comes, when crisis comes, when things fall apart in your life, you'll be so glad that you became a person of one thing. You'll be so glad that, that you made that your one thing right there. Because you discovered strength, you discovered power, you covered the ability. You didn't fall apart when the trouble came. Because you had actually put first things in first place. One thing I have desired. One thing I've yearned, one thing has gripped me, that I would know God. I would know him in greater and greater degree. And I would see his beauty. I'd behold him. And I would inquire his temple. So when times of trouble come, he hides me in his pavilion. He hides me in his secret place. Let's just come if him right now. One thing I've desired. Just ask yourself, is that, the, is that what's the one thing? Uh, where are my desires this morning? Say, God, today I want to make you one thing, the one thing. I want to make you the one thing above all else. I want to know you, I want to know you as you are. Reveal to my heart who you truly are today. Don't allow my mind to become muddled and have a distorted view of who you are. But there's one thing I desire above all else. That I would truly see you and truly know you as you really are. I, count, I just want to allow all the past distractions or the things of the past, I want to count them as past. But one thing I do, I press on. To the upward call that I would know him and the power of his resurrection. Just lift your heart, say, Lord, I want to know you, I want you. Don't allow my life to be ruled by distractions and don't allow my heart to get discouraged and don't allow my heart to become disunified. But one thing I want. One thing I desire is above all else, God. I want you. Nothing else will truly satisfy the yearnings and the cravings of my heart by you. Hallelujah! 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 Just as we just close right now, I want you to, just in your heart, say, God. Are there other things that have just got a hold of our desire? Desire is a, is a powerful thing, because you never want this unless you desire unless you desire it. And you need to ask God to work in, in the desires of your heart, to cause him to be your one supreme desire. I just wonder just while we're there, just I just want you to do, so maybe if this is you today, maybe in a fresh way, you just want to say, "Lord today, on this day, on this moment, I really, really, in my heart today, want to make you the one thing." I can see what other things have come in a little bit and distracted and disunified and discouraged but right now in this moment in a sense I want to re evaluate, recommit and say God I want you to be the one thing Perhaps you just I don't want me to just simply stand where you are right now just simply stand where you are right now if you just want to just do that now say God today I'm just coming in a fresh way I want to make you the, the one thing other things have come anyone else who the ones they that's you. If God stir in your heart to just do that. And then just stand and say, Lord, today. You may have done it many times, we're in a fresh way today. You want to make him the one thing. The one thing. The one focus, the one thing. Father, we thank you for each one this morning that would stand before you. And in a sense today, Lord. We recommit our hearts to you afresh. And say, Lord, we want to make you the one thing. We want you to be our supreme desire. You are the desire of the nations. We want you to be our supreme desire above all things. There's nothing more I desire but you. You are my one desire. And we pray, Lord, more and more that we, in these moments, in afresh, we make a commitment. Say, Lord, today, we commit, you. we commit ourselves to you being our one thing. One thing we desire is that we may behold the beauty of the Lord, that we may inquire of you, that we may grow in ever deeper ways before you. Bless your people right now those who would stand today, God, I pray they would have a new encounter, incredible new experiences and new encounters with you, the living God, that you would fascinate their hearts, that you would show them your beauty, you'd show them your wonder, and we will be struck today, awestruck wonder at your awesomeness, your greatness, your power, God. We will be fascinated with who you are and what you do. We ask it in your mighty name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this free download from Delancey Elam Church. For more downloads or to contact us, please visit our website at delanceyelam.co.uk.